This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. All right, on a Thursday night here on 98.7 ESPN New York, so much going on. That update at the uh, top of the hour, kind of just scratching the surface. So much going on around so many different sports right now. Great to be with you for the next couple of hours. Uh, 1-800-919-3776. Love to hear from you, your thoughts on anything and everything we're about to speak about for the next couple of hours. Uh, You've got uh, week 14 in the NFL underway with... You know, another one of these Thursday night games on Amazon Prime that Al Michaels has to be scratching his head. I signed up for this this year. I don't really care how much they're paying me. We all know that's not true. He does care how much they're paying him, as they should. But, boy, the slate has been rough this year for Thursday night football. The Rams and the Raiders is living up to that billing, 13-3. Raiders, who have been playing very well lately, leading the Rams, who are a complete mess. Baker Mayfield has played the... Majority of that game at quarterback, of course, the Jets and the Giants, their week 14 games this weekend, both at the same time, Sunday at 1 p.m. Money continues to fly throughout Major League Baseball. I'll tell you, for a sport that apparently is now regionalized and not nearly as popular as it used to be, and attendance is down, and the games are too long, and not as many people tune in to watch the national broadcasts. These are all things you hear about Major League Baseball. They're certainly healthy financially based on the money that has been absolutely flying around during the free agency period. And I'm not even talking about the Aaron Judge contract. Obviously, we have spoken at nauseum about that since it uh, the news broke yesterday morning. That was expected. But when you... See numbers like $292 million for Xander Bogarts, a contract that's going to take him through when he's 41 years old. 41 years old for a middle infielder. Brandon Nimmo coming back to the Mets. Eight years, $162 million. Nimmo's a nice player and a very important player on that Mets team. Fits the team, fits the ballpark, good defensive player, gets on base, Plays a really nice center field at City Field. But this is a guy who worked his way from a borderline bust of a first-round draft pick and worked really hard. Always had a great approach. He literally improved each and every year. For much of his career, the one big thing holding Brandon Nimmo back was the fact that he got hurt a lot and he was unable to stay healthy for a lot of his career. This past season, his best season, that's a good time to have your best major league season when you're entering free agency. But I do have to be honest, at no point during his career when I was watching Brandon Nimmo, and like I said, nice player, at no point did I think that was a $160 million player. But then again, the the whole landscape of salaries in Major League Baseball has changed. And Nimmo back to the Mets on that contract. It seems like ever since Jacob deGrom left for Texas almost a week ago, last Friday night, Steve Cohen and the Mets have done nothing but spend money. Nimmo back, obviously the Justin Verlander contract, which the Mets have now announced as official. Now they signed David Robertson to a one-year $10 million contract to bolster their bullpen. So that's happening in Major League Baseball. Uh, Night off for the Knicks and the Nets in the NBA. Obviously the Brittany Griner news has transcended the sports world. Uh, Terrific news. Uh, the fact that she is on her way home as we speak. 
Uh, expected to land, as you heard in the update at the top of the hour, in San Antonio, Texas. It's going to be a long haul back for uh, Brittany Griner after all that she has gone through in that Russian jail cell. Um, she'll uh, saw TJ Quinn, the ESPN reporter, who has been covering this story closer than anyone. Uh, it's going to be a, a long reacclimation period back into society for uh, Brittany Griner as, as she's evaluated and observed and uh, made sure that she is in the right mind space to to return to society and hopefully someday return to the basketball court. Um, a tremendous player, but that's, you know, secondary or even tertiary right now. The, ter- the best news of all is that you know, she gets her life back. And, and it was such a heartbreaking story and, and, and such a tragic story for so long. So nice to see it resolved on that front and the fact that she's able to uh, come back to her home country and hopefully resume somewhat of a normal life. Um, so that's been the, the news dominating really the, the, the whole national news uh, landscape today. Uh, but we'll, we'll dive into this week 14 on the football field with the Giants and the Jets because by, by any measure, by any statistical measure, uh, by any narrative you want to explore, it has been a football season for the, the two local teams better than we could have ever expected in our wildest dreams, especially collectively, what the Giants and the Jets have done. I mean, I'll think I'll take you all the way back to week one of the season when it was going to be, quote unquote, same old Jets. And the first half, the Giants couldn't protect Daniel Jones when they were in Tennessee against the Titans. They couldn't move the football at all. They couldn't even let alone score. They couldn't even get a first down. And we were all there week one of the NFL season expecting more of the same. And the Giants' fortunes turned in the second half of that game. The Jets' fortunes turned in the final two minutes the following week. That miracle Joe Flacco comeback against the Cleveland Browns. And here we are. Week 14, there's five games left for each team. Both of them right now occupy playoff spots in their respective conferences. The Giants at 7-4-1. and one. And the Jets at 7-5. and five. Now, each team this weekend is facing the top team in its conference. The Giants do have the Eagles at home. The Jets are on the road to take on a Buffalo team that you know has been waiting for this rematch since that loss five weeks ago at MetLife Stadium that really turned the Jets' season around. That was the game. If you're looking at this Jets season, up until then, the Jets were a nice story. They were a team with some really intriguing young players a better-than-we-thought defense, a potential frontline star in Sauce Gardner in the secondary, but really not much more than that. If, if you remember going into that Buffalo game, the expectations for the Jets were not only to not win that game, but I still don't even think the expectations at that point were for them to make the playoffs. And that game changed everything. And if you remember the very first drive, Josh Allen marches Buffalo down the field. They're in the red zone in like four plays in the blink of an eye. And then he throws a ghastly interception in the red zone. But the way that that first drive felt, it felt like Buffalo was just going to come into MetLife and roll all over the Jets. And their defense clamped down. Allen fumbled twice. He threw another interception. He lost one of those fumbles. And the next thing you know... You're in a tie game in the fourth quarter, and Zach Wilson, remember him? 
Zach Wilson does just enough to get the Jets into field goal range to take a 20-17 to lead, but leaving time on the clock for Josh Allen to do something. And it was almost as if, you know what it reminded me of? Obviously a much different level. But the situation reminded me of Super Bowl Forty Two, Giants and Patriots. Uh, obviously the, the huge upset, the uh, first time the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And Eli throws the touchdown to Plexigo Burrs. But the Patriots were so, so dynamic offensively that year that I think there were, what, 34 seconds left that Tom Brady still had to work with. He still had a feeling that he could get them into field goal range. And then the Giants' defensive line put so much pressure on Brady that final drive that they just weren't going to let that happen. The Jets' defensive line that final drive did exactly that to Josh Allen. They were like, listen, we made it this far. We've got the lead in the final minute of the fourth quarter. And we've been tremendous all day. We are not going to screw this up right now. We're not going to let you march downfield and break our hearts with a touchdown or even a field goal to tie the game. And they didn't let Allen do anything on that final drive. He ended up injuring his elbow. It was a question whether he would play the following week. And it led to a couple of down weeks for Buffalo. So that's a long preamble to say Buffalo's been waiting for this rematch. So it's certainly not going to be an easy easy time for the Jets at all on Sunday, especially now that Buffalo, with Kansas City's loss last week to Cincinnati, Buffalo, because they've got the tiebreaker over the Chiefs, now has the number one spot in the AFC. So look, again, long way to go, five games to go, but that is a huge difference, playing a potential AFC championship game in Buffalo as opposed to in Kansas City or in Cincinnati or obviously in Miami or wherever or whoever the Bills might play in a potential AFC championship game. So that's what's on the line for them. If they win the rest of their games, the road in the AFC goes through them. Giants on the other end haven't seen the Eagles yet this year. And every time people wait for Jalen Hurts or this Eagles defense or this Eagles team, every time everybody waits for them to come back to earth, they come up with a performance like last week's dominant effort against Tennessee, a good Tennessee team. And the more you see them do that, the more this Eagles team looks like the real deal. Now, the analytics aren't their best friends. The analytics, the FPI for ESPN actually says that the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFC. The point differential would agree. The Cowboys have a plus 127 point differential, and the Eagles have a plus 112. And there's been a lot of talk this season about how the Giants have done it with quote-unquote smoke and mirrors, how the Giants' personnel and their roster and their talent is not as good as their 7-4 and 1 record would indicate. Well, look at the point differential column for the Giants. They're minus 7. They have been outscored by a combined 7 points this season, which is kind of amazing for a team that's 3 games above 500 this late in the season. But we knew that about the Giants. I'm one of the few people who thought that last week's tie against Washington was encouraging, just from a standpoint that it kicks the can down the road and it keeps the Giants, for now, 
ahead of the Commanders. It eliminates, unless Seattle goes out and ties one of their final five games, but it makes the tiebreaker that the Seahawks held over the Giants obsolete because the chances are they're not going to end in a tie. And the biggest reason why I thought it was somewhat of a positive is because the way the Giants were playing going into that game last week and the way that the Commanders were playing going into that game last week, I did not expect the Giants to win or tie or have a chance to win. And the way that they played from the second quarter on, you take out the drops, Darius Slayton, Julian Love, and more importantly, the absolute stupidity by John Feliciano, that personal foul penalty that literally cost them the win. We've been through it. Every other show has been through it. But that one play, you can track the way that that game was going, the way that the Giants' defense was playing. They had a seven-point lead. They had first and 10 at the 35-yard line. They were about to run three more plays, run about a minute off the clock, minute and a half off the clock, and get themselves back into field goal range for not a 58-yarder that Graham Gano had to attempt on the final play of the game to try to win it for the Giants, but a much more manageable 50-yard field goal that he probably would have hit. He probably would have put the Giants up by 10. And the way that that game was going, the way the Giants' defense was playing in the second half, Washington was not going to score twice against the Giants. So you can pinpoint that one act of Feliciano as what cost the Giants a victory in that game. Now, will that... Loom large at the end of the season? Will the Giants be home wild card weekend watching Washington and watching Seattle play? If they do, if they are, then you can literally point to that one play. You hope if you're a Giants fan, it doesn't come to that. My takeaway from the Giants game is from the it was a slow start. Jones had the early fumble. Washington marched down the field. They jumped out to that 10-0 lead, and it looked like the Giants' downward decline that we have seen against Seattle, that we saw against Detroit, that we saw in the second half against Dallas when the Giants just couldn't compete with the Cowboys. It just looked like that was going to continue. And what you saw second, third, fourth quarter, even overtime, you saw a lot of what the Giants did to get themselves to 6-1. and one. That was a Washington Commanders team that was playing very well coming into that game, as well as anybody in the NFL. Terrific on defense. The Giants moved the ball on them for large portions of that game. Clutch on offense. Not a top-flight quarterback, but some playmakers around him. And after the first quarter, the Giants' defense gave the Commanders absolutely nothing except that final drive when they were able to convert the fourth and four for 20 yards, and then go on for the game-tying touchdown to send that game into overtime. But my takeaway from the Giants last week was positive in the fact that, hey, maybe they aren't dead yet because they were starting, to me, to resemble a team that just ran out of gas. And when you look at the upcoming schedule, really look at the upcoming schedule for both teams, and this is the point I want to get to. After this enjoyable season through the first 13 weeks, for Jets fans, I don't think any of them expected 7-5. and five. 
for Giants fans. I don't think any of them expected 7-4-1. and one. How would we view this season? How will we view this season? In the event that neither team makes the playoffs, how big of a disappointment would that be if neither the Jets nor the Giants make the playoffs? Because right now, that's a very realistic possibility. Based on where they each stand in their conference standings, the Jets are in seventh place. I know New England's not playing well, but they're only a game behind the Jets. And obviously, as we know, and as Zach Wilson well knows, New England has the tiebreaker over the Jets. The Chargers are 6-6, six and six, and they still have a top-10 quarterback. They've been all beat up and banged up and they're, uh, with injuries, and their defense hasn't been nearly as good as it needs to be. And right now we're looking at this Thursday night football game in Los Angeles, and the Raiders are up 13-3. to They're playing against Baker Mayfield. There's less than six minutes to go in the third quarter. And if they win this game, the Raiders are 6-7. and seven. They're a game and a half behind the Jets. And the Jets' schedule, starting this Sunday, as we just talked about, is not easy coming down the stretch. So how much of a disappointment would it be if we don't have any playoff football in New York? It's a possibility. There'll still be a lot of positives, but would it make this season a failure? Your thoughts, 1-800-919-3776. More on the baseball free agency spending spree and plenty more. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. You know, watching this Raiders-Rams game right now, and it got me thinking, the the Rams' defense of their Super Bowl, and I know a lot of it is injury-related, but... Even opening night at SoFi Stadium when the Bills came in and just ran them off the field, you started to see some red flags right away with the Rams that they might not be up to the task of defending their Super Bowl title. This is going to easily go down as one of the worst Super Bowl championship defenses in NFL history, as they just missed a field goal. So they're still down 13-3 to with 2.42 to go in the third quarter. The Rams are 3-9. and Matthew Stafford is out for the season. Baker Mayfield is now playing quarterback for the Rams. And seeing Baker in a Rams uniform has me wondering who or what has had the more severe fall from grace. Is it Baker Mayfield or is it the team that he's playing for right now? I mean, think about Baker Mayfield. He was, it's 2022. All right, just a reminder. I'll throw that out there for all of you. The year right now is 2022. This dude was the number one pick in the draft in 2018. Remember his first game? Jets fans certainly remember his first game. It was also on a Thursday night. He came on in relief of Tyrod Taylor. The Browns hadn't won a game in about a year and a half. And Taylor got hurt, as unfortunately he's been prone to do during his career. Mayfield comes in, rallies the Browns. They had that Bud Light gimmick throughout the city where when the Browns finally won a game, 
refrigerators of Bud Light would be unlocked throughout the city of Cleveland. I mean, he was a god. And then we obviously know about the commercials, the progressive commercials. Some of them were kind of funny in the beginning, but then it was obviously overblown. And then it really became overblown when he just wasn't that effective anymore. But he did take the Browns to the second round of the playoffs. In the second round, gave the Kansas City Chiefs a really, really, really hard time before losing in the second half. And then last year, he played through injury for most of that season. He was ineffective. It was one of those years from hell for the Browns that franchises in all sports go through. The Browns had it last year. The Browns have had a lot of those. I actually gave credit to Mayfield last year. I thought a lot of his ineffectiveness last season was due to the fact that he was actually playing through an injury that would have kept a lot of other guys off the field. But they move on from him, obviously. They seize the opportunity to bring in Deshaun Watson. Mayfield becomes expendable. The Panthers jump in on him because all they had was Sam Darnold. I would have done the exact same thing. And in training camp, there was this open competition between Mayfield and Darnold, the number one pick from 2018 and the number three pick from 2018. And I think everybody, myself included, expected Mayfield to win the job, and he did. And he just couldn't play anymore to the point where they finally got rid of him this week. But it's amazing what he's doing right now. I mean, I guess the guy just wants to play football. He's trying to save his career. But he gets cut on Monday, flies to... Los Angeles on Tuesday studies the playbook on the cross-country flight from Charlotte to Los Angeles, and he's playing Thursday night football right now. That's very difficult to do. Now, unfortunately for the Rams, unfortunately for Baker, it's the results you would expect right now as they're losing 13-3. to He came on, led them to a field goal drive his first time out, and that's been it, 13-3. to Final middle of the third quarter. But who has had a bigger fall from grace? Is it the Rams franchise from Super Bowl champion last year? And then the thing we know about the Rams, as you watch them put together that Super Bowl team with the likes of uh, Von Miller, uh, Jalen Ramsey, bringing in Odell Beckham. I mean, they were the most extreme example of a team pushing all of their chips into the middle of the table. And going for broke. And usually those moves don't pay off. It worked out. They got their championship. They won the Super Bowl last year on their home field to make it a little bit better. But now their future looks completely bleak. You don't know the status of the quarterback. Last offseason, you had the head coach thinking about retiring. You had the star defensive player thinking about retiring, and that was coming off of a Super Bowl. How much are they going to want to put in the work this offseason and grind to try to get back to respectability? So that franchise is in trouble for a long time, starting now, and right now they have Baker Mayfield as their starting quarterback. It's been a pretty severe fall from grace for the Rams, but it's been, and I don't know how much more Baker Mayfield has or how many more opportunities he gets. It's just amazing the fall from grace that this guy has had. All right. So Giants and Jets, the possibility exists mainly because of, and the Jets are playing well. And I know that, look, it was a frustrating loss against Minnesota. They fell way behind early. 
They battled back but could not come up with the big play at several points during the game, including the end when they had a couple of chances on the one-yard line. All right, It's frustrating to lose that way. There were a lot of positives from that game. The Jets' defense, for the most part, looks good again. I think you're at the point now where the Jets' defense is usually going to look good because the Jets' defense is good. You know, Mike White moved the football. He got them into scoring position countless times. Could only find the end zone once, and that hurt. That ultimately was the difference in that game. But you saw some positives from the Jets. It wasn't like they went out to Minnesota and laid an egg. It wasn't like they were, you know, resting on their laurels from their big win the previous week over the Bears and all the Mike White stuff that came out of that and the fact that we have our quarterback of the future. No, no, no. They continued to press forward. They ran into a team that, all right, are they as good as their 10-2 and record, the Vikings? I don't think so. The analytics don't think so. The point differential doesn't think so. But they are 10-2. and You know? They have an offense that can move the ball. They have maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL. They have an above-average running back. They've got weapons on that team. All right? So it's not like you went out and faced this Rams team on the road. No. This is a team that still is fighting for the top seed and the first-round bye in the NFC. And you played them well. The problem is, where is the soft landing spot in the Jets' schedule the rest of the way? You know, the soft landing spot was the first game against the Bears. And that was, I I, I still think, I'm in lockstep with most people who have given their opinions on this. I think the biggest reason why Zach Wilson was removed as the starting quarterback was his performance in that press conference after the game in Foxborough. But another thing that made it easier to make the change when they did was the fact that they were playing the Bears at home that coming Sunday. It's like a team that fires a manager or a head coach. You know, in the NBA, you don't fire your head coach before uh, before the Phoenix Suns are coming to town. You know, you don't fire the head coach before you have a big game on national TV against the Celtics. No, you fire the head coach before you play the Pistons. You fire the head coach before you play the Houston Rockets because you want the new guy to get his first win as soon as possible. And if you're firing the head coach, clearly you're blaming the head coach. So you want to be able to start off with a win and say, hey, see, it was this guy. Same thing with the quarterback. You know, it certainly helped that in Mike White's first game, they were playing against the Bears defense. That's awful. But he played well. He played well enough against the Vikings to show you that he's for real. To be honest, look, the Bears game, the weather was awful. The Bears have nothing to play for. They weren't even playing their starting quarterback They've traded away a lot of high-end defensive talent off a defense that wasn't that great to begin with. It was a terrific performance for Mike White against the Bears. Throwing for over 300 yards and three touchdowns and blowing the Bears out in that game. He actually showed me as much, if not more, against the Vikings. Because that was a much, much more legitimate opponent on the road in a tough place to play. But the problem for the Jets as they chase this playoff spot is it only is going to get harder. At Buffalo, against Detroit, against Jacksonville, at Seattle, at Miami. Where's the like seriously, what is the easiest game of those 5? I don't know. I guess the easiest game of those 5 is probably the home game against Jacksonville. But even they're pretty good. 
You know, just ask the Giants. The Giants barely beat them earlier this season. Now, the Giants, on the other hand, are in the exact same boat. They built this 7-4-1 record. They built it largely by beating the teams they should beat. They caught Jacksonville at a really nice time. They beat them on the road. They beat the Panthers. That was close. They had to struggle to do that. They beat the Bears. That was close. They had to struggle to do that. They had a couple of signature wins against the Packers, who were really struggling at the time, although we didn't know it at the time. The game against the Ravens, but Baltimore and Lamar Jackson made some really boneheaded plays in the fourth quarter of that game to help the Giants, but the Giants put themselves in position to take advantage of those opportunities. They beat the Texans, who are the worst team in the NFL. All right, outside of the Colts at home, week 17, there are no more of those games for the Giants. So do they have enough to get to the finish line as one of the top seven teams in the NFC? We'll hear from Brian Dable, his thoughts ahead of the matchup against the Eagles on Sunday. We'll hear from Jacob DeGrom in Arlington, Texas, a member of the Texas Rangers. His thoughts on leaving the only franchise he had played for as a major leaguer. And we'll touch on the NBA. Anybody take a look at the NBA standings lately? Yeah, the Knicks have won two in a row. That's nice. Anybody see who's the fourth place team in the Eastern Conference? Take a look during the commercial. We'll talk about that as well. Pat O'Keefe, 1-800-919-3776 on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Harvey Cruz and Joe Leo producing the show. Not sure uh, which one of you guys reminded me of this gem on my screen here, but we were talking about the Brandon Nimmo eight-year, $162 million contract. Nimmo will be 30 years old at the start of next season. Contract will run uh, through 2030. Uh, Bobby Bonilla will be paid by the Mets five years longer than Brandon, Brandon Nimmo went. So if you look at it in terms of that, maybe the contract isn't looking so bad. Look, here's the thing. The money is flying around so crazy right now that you you can't even tell. And, you know, they had a long conversation about this on the Michael K show yesterday. You can't tell anymore what is going to be a bad contract in, in five years, in 10 years. Is Judge's contract years seven, eight, and nine, especially like years eight and nine, when he's making $40 million a year. You know, is is the market going to change that much over the next decade that, you know, a reserve middle infielder will also be making $40 million a year? I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, But it's hard to tell now. You know, if, if you told me three years ago that Brandon Nimmo was going to sign if you told me three months ago that Brandon Nimmo was going to sign an eight-year, $162 million contract, I would have thought you were crazy. That's what the market is right now. How about this for Nimmo? Last year, his best season, he had an 800 OPS, a 367 on-base percentage. Last year was Brandon Nimmo's... He's played six years. It was his first season in which he played more than 140 games. And it was the second season in his career, only two times in his entire career, 
has Brandon Nimmo played more than 100 games. He has missed a lot of baseball. Plays hard. Plays the quote-unquote right way in that, you know, he hustles. He puts the bat on the ball. You know, Brandon Nimmo has all of those skills. Brandon Nimmo is actually an interesting guy because he's got a lot of attributes and characteristics that old-school baseball people like. But he's also a friend of the analytics world. He gets on base a lot. He plays a good center field. But he puts the bat on the ball. Old-school baseball people like that. Runs hard to first base, whether he hits the ball, whether he walks. Base Old-school baseball people like that. He's always got a smile on his face. Brandon Nimmo, friend of everyone. Smiling right now, I guarantee you that. Eight years, $162 million. David Robertson, one year, $10 million. Um, the Mets have spent a lot of money since Jacob DeGrom went to the Texas Rangers. Speaking of DeGrom, and it'll be interesting to see, the two teams going back to the summer, when I was hosting show after show after show, and, and so often the topic of conversation was where is Aaron Judge going to go? And the two teams, and this is just based on their spending habits recently, but the two smaller market teams that don't have a long history of swimming in these these deep waters with the top free agents that I just had a feeling were going to be major players in the free agent period this year were the Texas Rangers and the San Diego Padres. Now, the Padres have more recent history, obviously signing Manny Machado, signing Fernando Tatis Jr. to the long contract. Now they have Juan Soto, although they're not paying him big money yet. And then last offseason, the Texas Rangers signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon their middle infield, to big money contracts. And sure enough, Padres have been in on everyone. They finally got somebody in Xander Bogarts. And the Texas Rangers have Jacob DeGrom. All right, so DeGrom, and and, and so the Rangers are interesting. They have DeGrom, obviously, now at the top of their staff. You know, it didn't get a lot of attention uh, when the move was made, but they did hire Bruce Bochy three-time World Series champion manager with the San Francisco Giants. You know, Bochy moved on a couple of years ago, and he's he's up there in age. He's got to be in his 70s. I think people just assume that was it for him, the end of a long, terrific career that will likely land him in Cooperstown, deservedly so, unlike a lot of people who get into Cooperstown these days undeservedly. But the Rangers have DeGrom. They have those middle infielders. They need a lot more, obviously. They have Bruce Bochy. They're clearly trying to be a factor, which they haven't been for about a decade when they went to -to back-to-back World Series in 2010 and 2011. All right, so here's DeGrom introduced today, the new ace of the Texas Rangers, on how tough it was to leave the Mets. That's not an easy decision. And, you know, I spent the first eight-plus years of my career with the New York Mets, and, you know, I, I have to thank them for that. They'll always hold a special place in my heart, my wife's heart, my kids, you know, from ownership to my teammates there, the fans ultimately. You know, they made me feel welcome there. And, you know, they played a big role in my career. So there will always be a special place in my heart for the New York Mets and their fans. And, you know, it's just, you know, that's the part of the business of baseball is seeing what CY and, like I said, Boach and Ray were building here was something I wanted to be a part of. Now, other than the five years and $185 million, because that's the obvious answer, other than that, why the Texas Rangers? 
Going through the process, you have you set up meetings with teams, and whenever I found out the the Rangers were one of those teams, I was I was really excited. And then you know, getting on a call with uh, Cy and Boach, you know, hearing the vision of of what the Rangers want to do, and ultimately getting to meet Ray and and the vision here and bringing a world series here that's the goal winning a a world series and these guys all had that same vision and it it lined up with what what i wanted to do so they showed a ton of interest right in the start and the feelings were mutual and just very happy to be here you know we talk about this in the nba all the time where teams that are in smaller markets have to overpay for star players when they have the opportunity to get them because those star players aren't going to go to those locations for any other reason. The Cleveland Cavaliers are a perfect example. And obviously, the structure of the NBA and Major League Baseball is vastly different because there is no salary cap. So baseball, all you got to do is pay a guy. doesn't matter how much you pay him. Yes, you'll have to pay the luxury tax if you go over a certain threshold, but you don't have to fit anybody into the confines of a salary cap. You don't have to clear salary cap space to sign Jacob DeGrom if you are the Texas Rangers. Um, The Cavaliers... We're building something, right? They drafted Darius Garland. They jumped in on the James Harden trade, and they were able to pull Jared Allen, and he blossomed into an all-star. They drafted Evan Mobley. So they had something really nice going last year when they had about a 20-25 to win improvement from the previous season. It was their best season without LeBron James in a Cavs uniform this century. And then they had the opportunity to... Jump in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. Donovan Mitchell, if a player of that caliber is a free agent and he is looking around the NBA at a potential team for him to sign with, he is not going to sign with the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's just the way it is. So those teams need to overpay when they have an opportunity to bring in a star, and they also need to draft extremely well. In Cleveland, did they overpay? I don't even think they did overpay. They paid a lot. They paid a hefty price with draft picks and Lowry Markinen, um and Colin Sexton, who I don't really think that's that big of a loss. They paid a lot to get Mitchell, but they had to because a guy like Mitchell's not willingly coming to Cleveland. Same thing with the Texas Rangers. They're not a marquee franchise. They're not the Yankees or the Cubs or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Mets. They're the Texas Rangers. So they had to blow everybody out of the water to get Jacob deGrom to even consider them. And they did. Will they pay for it on the back end? Again, if you're a franchise without a lot of history, not in a big baseball market, No history of winning, in fact. If you're that franchise, then those are the risks that you have to take. And those types of franchises are always at a severe disadvantage. You're seeing the same thing with the San Diego Padres right now and why they have been so aggressive. So DeGrom in Texas, uh, the Mets have his replacement, and then some, and then some, and then some. And they are not done yet. Pat O'Keefe with you on this Thursday night. Another hour and change to go on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Regarding Brandon Nimmo, uh, DeComo reached out late Thursday via text message to Buck Showalter, the esteemed manager of the Mets, Showalter did not commit to naming Nimmo captain, but he did add, and this is Buck to DeComo, Nimmo would be a consideration 
on a short list if so inclined. That's interesting, too. Um, the captaincy, as I analyzed the Aaron Judge impending free agency for months up until it came to its conclusion yesterday, the captaincy to me was always a big part of that. You know, for, for the Mets, um, the recent captains, obviously, well, look, the Mets don't have the, the history of a team like the Yankees that's been around for a century, but the recent captain history for the Mets, it's pretty strong. I mean, David Wright was a pretty popular um, and prominent captain in that clubhouse. Before that, John Franco was the captain of the teams in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, the next captain of the Mets, you know, for me, it would have to be Pete Alonzo. But the captaincy thing becomes tricky. And speaking of Alonzo, how much is he just kind of licking his lips and counting down uh, the hours, days, months until he becomes an unrestricted free agent or approaches free agency? When he sees what Aaron Judge got, what Xander Bogarts got, when he sees Brandon Nimmo getting eight years and $162 million. So if Nimmo, and by the way, Alonzo's going to hit free agency at roughly the same age as Nimmo. Nimmo's 30, and you're giving this guy an eight-year contract for $162 million. Alonzo's going to hit unrestricted free agency. If he does, he'll be about 30 years old. So if Nimmo's worth 162, if I'm... Alonzo, I'm like, well, let's double it and we'll go from there. And then some. <laughs> but Alonzo to me also has the the attributes you'd look for in a captain. The production, obviously. Um, you know, stand up guy, uh, at his locker in good times and bad. He he's he he seems to have those leadership qualities, and I guess on a smaller scale, Brandon Nimmo certainly does. But you want your captain to be a prominent player on the roster. I do think that that's important. And Alonzo fits the bill. Obviously, Aaron Judge fits the bill. And that's just a matter of time until we're at the press conference introducing Aaron Judge as the 16th captain of the Yankees. David Wright fit the bill. David Wright, for unfortunately not as long a period of time as we would have hoped because of injuries. But for a time, he was one of the best third basemen in baseball. Leader accountable, uh, productive on offense and on defense, had a presence in that locker room. He fit the bill. Obviously, Derek Jeter fit the bill. Uh, Don Mattingly before him. You know, Pete Alonzo, to me, fits the bill. So we'll see if he's the next captain of the Mets. Interesting that Brandon Nimmo is in that conversation because that's not, that's not something that I would have thought would be a possibility, but you never know. You know, you never know how these things shake out. It's tough, and this is why the Yankees, I think, waited until now, and they actually haven't done it yet. But I think the reason why the Yankees didn't name Aaron Judge the captain sooner was because they weren't sure that he was going to be on the team beyond last season. None of us were. You don't want to name a guy the captain, and then 12 months or 16 months later, he's going off to San Francisco. Now that he's here for the next nine years, there's your next captain of the Yankees. All right, we got plenty more to get to in hour number two. More on the baseball free agents spending spree. Uh, we'll get some reaction or some preview sound from Giants head coach Brian Dable ahead of the Giants game against the Eagles on Sunday at 1 o'clock. And we'll get into the NBA. All of that on 98.7 ESPN New York.